Welcome to In Early, the crypto podcast, where I speak to those at the forefront of the digital asset space, telling real-life stories, discussing the growth and growing pains of the industry, and exploring how blockchain technology has made an impact on people's lives. My name is Matt Green, and I'm the blockchain litigation lead at Shoesmiths. This week, I speak to Erica Stanford, the best-selling author of Crypto Wars, Faked Deaths, Missing Billions, and Industry Disruption. We look at the history of crypto scams from initial coin offerings to collapses of entire exchanges like Mt. Gox and hear her thoughts on where we are today, from the introduction of central bank stablecoins to the recent SEC filings against Binance and Coinbase. Erica gives her thoughts on how notable stories like Quadriga and BitConnect have shaped today's market and how major players have adapted to ensure they are best positioned to mitigate their risk. Erica also runs the Crypto Curry Club, is a speaker and commentator on all things blockchain, and is a fintech specialist at law firm CMS. We also talk about her next book, including Murder for Hire and the missing chapter from book one. So Erica and I have known each other for a number of years, and it's through her Crypto Curry Club that I actually met uh, Aidan Larkin of Asset Reality, who I've done one of the podcasts with. Um, I've contributed a couple of articles about crypto asset recoveries for um, the uh, Blockchain Industry Review, which was a, a monthly publication. And I'm very glad to have you here now, Erica. So welcome. Thank you for having me. Really appreciate it. So let's start with your book. Copy is um, is here. What's it all about and what prompted you to to make it? So the book's about the biggest hacks and scams in crypto. I can take no credit whatsoever for the idea or inspiration of writing a book that was the publisher's idea. So they approached me okay. with the idea of doing a book called Crypto Wars yeah. uh, about the biggest hacks and scams in crypto. They'd already done a couple in the series about I think, cyber hacks and something else. And the right. guy who wrote those didn't want to do one about crypto, but right. proposed that I did. Um, but it was perfect timing and, and maybe why they asked me to do it i my introduction i've been working in crypto for years and running yeah, the yeah. crypto curry club events and knew lots of people in the space and sort of what was going on in the space yeah but hadn't really looked into the scams other than following the whole ico period quite closely and and, and watching it and then i heard the bbc's missing crypto queen podcast series and which you make was, reference to in the book totally, the opening yeah. chapters and and it's it's fantastic if you haven't listened to it totally listen to it and then listen to that back back to back and then did what any logical person would do and sent jamie bartlett the guy who wrote it a fangirl email basically nice. being like jamie i love your show i run this thing called the crypto curry club would yeah. you come talk at it and yeah. he apparently heard about it and was up for it so we had uh, a, a, an event sort of in a in a curry restaurant uh closed closed room chatham house rules and jamie told us all this stuff for an afternoon that he couldn't really share as publicly on a on a bbc so podcast. the door was locked you made sure chatham house rules yeah 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 and, and it was it was fantastic and it was it was a room full of people so we we, we learned loads and, and just eye-opening stories yeah and it was a room full of people that had been in crypto since pretty much day one and since early days and at that event and after that it was all guys because that was mostly he'd been in crypto came up to me and, and a bunch of them told me all these stories that they'd had of oh i saw this scam and i tried to alert the authorities or i tried to go to law enforcement or i tried to post on social media that it was a scam and all these different stories and it was just utterly crazy they'd had 
death threats for that. They'd had hate mail to their post. There's one guy who doesn't live in the UK. And the government where he lives has got a whole list of people that if they try to enter that country, they'll warn him because his life is perceived to be at danger because of how involved some of these scams are with some cases, governments, corrupt government, yeah. uh, with mafia, with really sort of big organized crime gangs. So that was just crazy. And then from that, I was invited to so on facebook and and other social media platforms as well you've got all of these groups and and chat channels either run by scams or run by people that have fallen for the scams but don't know that they've fallen for a scam well, not yet they, they were yeah, yeah, yeah they think that's still the next best thing so you've got all these open and, and closed chat groups of all of these scams are as invited into those by people who'd obviously been watching those sorry Spent about a year just sort of sat in all of these just different groups and watching people scam each other. Yeah. And 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 crazy. So I, I'd sort of already gone down the rabbit hole of watching a lot of scams just happen in front of you in, in these groups. So it was a matter of you writing to Jamie Bartlett on the story, hosting the Crypto Curry Club, and then everyone telling your story. Basically. Their story, sorry. Yeah. And then you're like, well, hold on. Um I've been sort of the the soundboard for a lot of these people maybe something can be done about this and then publishers came to and, and then they reached out and i was like crypto scams yes good idea and, and obviously totally underestimated how much work it would be to write a book yeah well it's heavily um uh referenced so at the back there's like this massive reference section, so i can see the amount of work that's gone in like everything's footnoted like yeah that was the legal editor's advice yeah, yeah i can i can imagine <laughs> so i that starts sort of the front of the book. There's a lot to do with Ponzi schemes and uh, multi-level marketing. What are they and how are they different from each other? So Ponzi, they're two different things, yeah. albeit one often uses the other. So yeah. a Ponzi scheme is is a way of making money by taking money to pay earlier investors from the later investors. So you, for example, will say, I've got this wonderful product. It's going to make everyone lots and lots of money. Mm. And you, you get me to invest in it. And you, you promise, well, I'll give you 10% returns a month or whatever. Mm -hmm. That's quite high and unsustainable. So I think, wonderful, I'm going to get 10% return a month. Here's all of my money. And and so you initially, to, to me and to the early investors, pay out the, the returns so you pay out the 10% or whatever whatever it is you promise you mm -hmm. pay out and they get their money back and they think wonderful we've invested and then Matt's fantastic he's he's paying out so we're going to tell all our friends and family mm -hmm. about it. so a, a Ponzi scheme is is really somebody promoting a typically a scam yeah and getting early investors paying them out but the money that they're paying out doesn't come from the fantastic investment because there is nothing it's coming from the next people to invest and at some point there's no more new people investing in or the amount of new people investing in is less than what is needed to pay all of the first investors back and then it collapses so that that's a ponzi scheme multi-level marketing is a tactic often used by ponzi schemes so controversial opinion but my own is that multi-level marketing should be banned there's no reason why this is legal so it's a marketing tactic where people pay commissions down a line in, in basically a pyramid shape yeah, it's weird that they both have a pyramid Hope, well, i mean the, the, there's a correlation here so yeah. multi-level marketing is I, I i want to sell this fantastic 
product. Um, so oh, I'll sell it to you. And then if you sell it to somebody else, you get a commission from that sale. But I also get a commission from your sale going down mm-hmm. often seven or 10 or more levels. So it's it's a massively incentivized structure whereby you're incentivized to not only get other people to invest or to buy that product, but you're incentivized for them to get other people and so on. And, and again, like, like a Ponzi scheme, the first people who get in early make lots of money because mm-hmm. they're getting a cut off of everyone else. And at some point, the the people who get in towards the end, they have to pay to get in to buy the product or pay to have the right to promote it or whatever. Mm. And then there's no more people that will buy the product or invest because the market is saturated or or, or it's exposed as being a scam. So multi-level marketing is inexplicably but legal as a structure. And there are some legal products that are sold in, in multi-level marketing like vitamins or socks. Well, it has to be a product, doesn't it? To make it legal, it has there has to be, to be a, product. a product. It has to be a product. But yeah. the way some things have got around it is a lot of the crypto Ponzi schemes, the, the only difference is that they made their product educational courses, which were basically you invest whatever, 100 grand or something, and you get a plagiarized PDF of... That's it, you mentioned the PDF, yeah, yeah. Exactly. So that makes it multi-level marketing, not a Ponzi scheme. Technically, it's a Ponzi scheme. But going on to multi-level marketing, I I would argue it's legal. A, apparently 98% of people, all people that get involved, lose money. So not mm. great statistics. Yeah, that's, that's not... And also, a lot of the products sold, like the vitamins, scientists will say, well, they're no different to water, and the socks tend to fall apart. So it's all a bit of a... And then these sort of fall into the crypto world, right? Because you have these two types of structure that are, uh, well, multi-level marketing we're saying is, is legal, but obviously Ponzi schemes aren't. Yeah. But, and they shouldn't be, right? Then it sort of falls into the world of crypto in sort of, I don't know, however many years ago. So let's just pull it back a little bit to sort of understand for those who, who may not what an initial coin offering is um, and sort of how that interplays with Ponzi schemes and, and multi-level marketing. Like what is an ICO? So an, an ICO, an initial coin offering, mm. it, it to be crude, it's, it's a way for people or individuals to make a lot of money out of thin air in, in, in the crudest possible description. So yeah. what, what an initial coin offering was is you, you create a new cryptocurrency, mm-hmm. maybe through hard work or maybe out of thin air. And, mm-hmm. and one of the problems in, in, in crypto, or maybe problem isn't the right word, one of the features of cryptocurrency is that a lot of it is open source. So you yep. can copy basically the code and, and for not very much effort or money, pay a, a freelancer or now even chat GBT yeah. to create your own new cryptocurrency out of thin air. So what you had was this time, mostly sort of 2016 to 2018, yeah. where anybody could pretty much, there were experts popping up all over Fiverr and all of the freelance yeah. platforms offering to do this for $100 or, or really not a lot of money. Yeah. Copy the code, invent a new cryptocurrency, give it a name, give it a logo, give it a website and, and write some nonsense that this is the best token because if you want to buy wine you need to buy this cryptocurrency token to be able to buy wine or if you want to 
whatever, have a microphone, buy microphone tokens. I think you mentioned like tea in your book. I think that was a good example, right? It was the Chinese tea. No, that was one of the the scam ones. And and, and there were thousands and tens of thousands of these. And and no business plan was, for for the most part, there were some very, very good ones. Mm. For the most part, they had no business plan. Had they gone to a bank or to investors for for money, they'd have been laughed all the way home. Yeah. And, and there was a lot of hype and, and a bubble. But that that's a cynical answer. As a concept, the initial coin offering, it's a fantastic concept. It's a way that companies can raise money. They, they don't give away equity. They, they give away tokens. They can raise money on a platform. They can get investment from cryptocurrency instead of fiat as a, as a sort of core basic concept for a company to raise money from seed investors it's it's a really sort of open way of crowdfunding because people could invest tiny amounts yeah. and traditional some of the company raises they'd have only gone to sophisticated investors with people who could put in a large amount in the ICO offered a way that people could invest not very much money into a company that they wanted to support or that they thought was going to do well so as a core concept it's a really good idea and a, a way of opening up investment to more people yeah except i would argue in most cases yeah it got taken advantage of so it's an, it's an alternative to uh buying equity in a company that's what it should have been to except extent. you don't get equity you, you get, get a tokens token and, and what rights do those tokens have you don't know and that's not always what's clear that's right? that's the thing and, and a lot of them created the tokens just yeah. as a way of we're just going to create tokens because it was a way of creating money out of thin air for most yeah not for all so why were they so popular? I mean, I understand there's a lack of red tape. It wasn't regulated. There's no need for any corporate governance to do this sort of stuff. Why Why was it so popular beyond that? I, I would argue it's more a lack of perceived, or a perceived lack of red tape. Okay. In, in that there's still legal structures in place. Yeah, right, yeah. Um, which a lot of people choose to disregard or choose to ignore or didn't know about. Um, I, I think it was hype. Yeah. Read. Uh, there's been a lot of bubbles uh, over time, and and one of the the features, Bitcoin, and and some of the earlier cryptocurrencies went from nothing to yeah. a lot of of money. Um, people that had put in a hundred quid into Bitcoin in the earliest days, that became an awful lot of money. I mean, we're yeah. talking exponential yeah, returns right. in in the hundreds and thousands of percent returns, which you just don't get anywhere else. So. That they played on that, and and a lot of the ICOs were well. This is going to be better than Bitcoin. Invest now, and and we'll get these returns. And some of the worst ones, guaranteed or, or promised returns, which obviously is illegal and you can't do anyhow. But they, they would say, well, you'll get thirteen hundred percent or whatever return if, if you invest in this, which will obviously totally. Yeah, a lie. But people bought in that because they wanted to believe that. So it was just almost like a FOMO, a fear of missing out. It was like you saw Bitcoin sort of skyrocket, and they've gone, "Well, I've been told that this is the new coin, and if you don't invest a little bit now, or even a lot, then yeah. you may miss out on the opportunity." It, basically, and 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 some people did well, and some of them did well, and and yeah, yeah. A combination of FOMO, greed, hope. Yeah, there was some in the book. There was a few that I noted. Um, I appreciate the transparency of s- scam coin, right? <laughs> it noted. I'm going to read it out because I, I actually wrote it down. It was good. It said the only ICO you can be certain of get zero percent return from a hundred percent of your investments, guaranteed. Um, and then there was the useless Ethereum token. It said the world's first a hundred percent honest Ethereum ICO. 
You're going to give some random person on the internet some money and they're going to take it and buy some stuff with it. Probably electronics, to be honest. Maybe even a big screen TV. Seriously, don't buy these tokens. And yet that person received, what, 40,000? Yeah. I'm going to say that they're their words, not... not <laughs> yeah, no, that, that, that's, that's a quote. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, there was boob coin, Jesus coin. Like, why do people buy this stuff? Like, it's quite clearly, especially in that instance, it's so clearly, like, yeah. not going to benefit the uh, person. Uh, they think it might be greed or ignorance. Yeah. Um, partly in, in the scam or the useless Ethereum tokens, it might have been curiosity to see what happens. Well, people just going, you know what, fair play, this person's being so honest. It's actually maybe, quite maybe fun. Maybe you just thought, you know, maybe that means less people invest. Therefore, you know, money is going to go higher. We'll make more money. Yeah. And, and I think to a degree also in, in that time, a lot of people had made a lot of money, especially people that had got into Bitcoin or Ethereum early. So yeah. they, they had... A lot of people were seeing it like lottery, uh, not lo lottery, like monopoly yeah. money. So they, they had all of this sort of crypto currency that had just gone up from not very much to sky high and, yeah. and were just... And people made a lot of money, right? Because there were instances where people yeah. put a, a little bit in it, skyrocketed, they cashed out and all of a sudden they're going, well, let's do that again. Totally. And, and, and some of it was pump and dump. So yep. and the, there were all of these chat groups that one could join or in some cases pay to join and, and they would coordinate them. So a, a lot of the money that went into some of those, yes, it might have been people and you don't know how much of it was the people behind the organizers trying to drive a bit of a price rise so that they could mm -hmm. sell out their token. Well, I remember there was a friend of mine, um, uh, I think it was last year, or maybe the year before, and he put, I think it was about 40 grand in some coin that I can't remember quite bold to be fair that's that's not a small amount of money and he just waited and waited and waited and it went up i think to about a million pounds Damn. and a friend of mine went got to cash out yeah mad i like, just cash out and, and he went oh no and next day went to two mil what? it was just shot up on my friend are you gonna like what are you doing the guy went no i'm waiting he's like what are you waiting for he went i want to buy a football club next few days back to zero Theory. done and you just think to yourself well People see those opportunities, would have bought into those coins and gone, oh, I would have cashed out at a mill or two mil and wouldn't have waited. Yeah. But you see these stories. And then other the people time. would have bought him when I was at the two mil. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Um, and then ICOs raised um, between 2016 and 2018, released, uh, raised $800 billion. Yeah. To put that into some context, I looked it up that before. That would have that's... saved a lot of rescue animals at new time. Yeah, well, exactly. I mean, that's more than the market cap of Facebook, owner Meta, Visa, Tesla, as of the other day when I checked it out. But then the market dropped considerably. What happened? I, I think the bottom fell out of it. It was, it was a lot of hype. I, I, I'd argue it was a lot of bubble. I, I'd argue that it had gone up higher than it should have higher than common hmm. sense dictated yeah and and at some point the the, the bottom dropped out of it I, I think it wasn't so much that it crashed down to nothing so much as it went a lot higher than it should have been and maybe crashed down to where it should have been yeah which is basically nothing or at least what significantly is, lower a lot of them. i mean what, what and and a lot of people lost money and there was a lot of problems and there's still a lot of problems in crypto which created fear no mm -hmm. What caused, I mean, we can say that there was a lot of hype and excitement, but objectively, you look at the price of a coin and it goes up. What what brings that coin's value up? There could be lots of people buying and then there's someone, I guess, considering that because there's a lot of people buying in, there must be confidence and the value goes up. Is that yeah, the, how it works? There's huge amounts of, I mean, call it for what it is, it's yeah. market manipulation, yeah. huge amounts in, in crypto and, and certain 
billionaires are now being called out for it. Mm. Um, certain people are being sued for it. Certain people are being slapped on the wrist for it and probably a lot more will get away with it. Yeah. So there's a lot of market manipulation because you can play the markets. Um, and in some cases, all you need to do is, is put out a tweet if you've got enough followers and that can create... Really subtle. Yeah. Or, or buy a certain breed of dog. Yeah. After which tokens are named. Yeah. And, and then people think, well, if they're buying this type of dog, that means that they must support the token. Therefore, yeah. we'll buy in and we'll become rich. So th there's a lot of overt and subtle market. Some not so subtle. And, and some not yeah, subtle and some market manipulation. So I, I think that's a huge factor that, that shouldn't be underestimated. And and then they are the the... The way that the crypto markets work, you don't have huge amounts of liquidity. If you buy a little bit of some of the tokens, mm. that's enough to effectively push the price up because of supply and demand. If there's right. not enough crypto available, then if you buy a bit, then that just pushes the price up. So, of course, that's played on. Yeah, I guess there's a lot of factors and, and it, it sort of crashed down to where it should be, um, which I think um, needed to happen to clear out that sort of first phase of all these these relevant tokens um you're probably the best person to ask this question to given the book what what are the ingredients of a good scam so you've <laughs> it's sort of gone through one coin and then you said it was like a cult right you said there was mention of a strong personality i think they had a secret handshake you go through that in in the book um bitconnect held investors money so that uh, it couldn't be dealt with by anyone else it sort of ring fenced their money away from them i mean that's a good way to get, get people's money and they don't ever cash out exactly so what should people look for when they're interacting with this industry that would alert them to something being a scam? Like what, what is it that's so, what is it that people should be looking out for? The skeptical side of you, you would see most things. Um, but th there's a lot, there's a lot. So uh, a lot of projects mm. are just transparent about who's behind them. Yeah. So might, they might have cartoon characters saying this is whatever crypto dan or this is sam or whatever so if there's no crypto dan is that a real story uh, i feel like it probably is yes but it might, it might not have been crypto dan but something, something like, those like lines. yes 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 so I, I i think if you don't have the transparency behind of who's behind a project assume the people are fake that, that that's a frequent thing yeah. if there's any promises or guarantees about returns um avoid like yeah, how can they make that promise B, i mean a it's illegal b you you can't and and then looking at some of the returns some of them say that they're going to get uh, i think step back and be realistic if you look at pranks and and funds and, yeah. and investment managers and so forth they've got big budgets they employ a lot of the smartest people in the world they've mm -hmm. got software they've got ai they've got all of the algorithms they've got everything that the most amount of money can buy to trade or to invest as as well as anybody can mm -hmm. and they don't guaranteed get whatever percentage is yeah. returned a week yeah. or a month or whatever so then i think exercise a bit of common sense in that thing so i think if there's any lack of transparency mm. um and any any returns if anything's too good to be true if somebody says hey we've got this wonderful trading algorithm send us your money and we'll invest it well if you've got such a wonderful trading algorithm why would you share it why wouldn't you just be 
trading trading quietly on your own, making yeah, loads of money, it, or why are there loads of spelling mistakes on your website, and why is your website yeah, rubbish? Spe- spelling mistakes is that always gets one spelling mistake. Um, yeah, the, looking at the custody or all lack thereof, and then yeah. all of the scams. What they're trying to do is is get you to part with your money. Yeah. So anything that says basically send us your crypto, send us your money, hmm. um, and then one of the problems with scams is some of them are really sophisticated. So they'll they'll copy an app or a website yeah and at, at face value you really can't see a yeah. difference so the, the worst type of scams are the ones where it's a phishing link where basically people get tricked into something clicking or something they think is legitimate yeah. Yeah. um which is harder to avoid because then you've got to be a lot more careful about what you click on hmm. uh, and scams are going more into that direction but uh yeah i i think any any good offer don't don't believe it yeah and that's the thing right i I had a client and he he was using what he thought was a legitimate investment website and it just turned out that it wasn't and you look at it and it seemed pretty good and it sort of took him a while to realize that actually the numbers he saw on screen were just some guy putting up numbers on an excel spreadsheet rather than taking and investing his money so there's some i think there's some really obvious things but like if if they're trying to message you on telegram or whatsapp or any other any other channel it's guaranteed a scam I'm trying to find a quote in here because I think you start it early. Uh, yeah. In, in normal circumstances, the age-old adage goes, if something looks like a duck, swims like a duck, and quacks like a duck, then it's generally considered to be a duck. Yeah. I think you stand by that, don't you? That's the opening lines of the book, and that's probably right. Um, but isn't this then, and I, I appreciate that some people have different feelings about this, and given the fact that we are at this moment in a position whereby this type of activity is unregulated, is it not, is, or is there not a sense that this is, to some extent, the risk you take if you're going to play with crypto assets, then be prepared to lose it all because it's not regulated. And, yeah. you know, you might need to cut your teeth and learn a few things about the industry. And, and people say who've made plenty of money to me, oh, yeah, well, actually, years ago, I got scammed and I learned a shed load about, you know, is that part of it? Uh, yeah, I think so. And and one of the things you learn is you can't trust any platform. I mean, even the biggest platform now mm. we don't even need to n- name any names even the yeah. biggest crypto exchanges are currently being sued for mm. um for varying things mm. um and we've seen some of the, the biggest ftx was one of the most trusted platforms mm. loads of people trusted yep and and collapsed spectacularly lots of people lost lots of money so i i'd argue that any centralized entity especially with crypto where they say oh we we're going to look after your crypto for you. Yeah. You can't trust anything. Yeah. But then what What can we do? I mean, to some extent, it's also, to say the word influencers is wrong, but you have celebrities endorsing certain products. Yeah. And people believe that because of celebrity endorsement. And then it goes upside down. And Well, one of the problems has been, there's been a number of, of celebrities wrist slapped and fined for yeah. it. Uh, a scam will go to them high celebrity influencer with millions of followers mm. uh, promote this thing and then celebrity influencer who knows nothing about crypto will go oh this ethereum max token or this whatever token is wonderful i've invested or this is great and they don't disclose that they've been paid lots of money yeah. for it and, and also they don't disclose that it's a scam and maybe they, they know what they don't care or maybe they just don't look into it and go think thank you for paying me mm. probably millions to promote this so yeah, I don't trust. What did Taylor Swift say about FT? Was it FTX where she said, oh, it sounds like securities and then she didn't invest or something, something like that, where I, she came out and actually was really quite sensible. Was like, mm. Right. 
don't think I'm going to do that. Okay. So fa- fair play to fair her. Play. She 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 got it right. Apparently she's quite smart. I think probably she is. I mean, she's she's doing all right. I think. Yeah. I might get her on the next podcast. Maybe. What do you think? Cool. Yeah. <laughs> um. But apart from scams, I mean, isn't there an issue to some extent, right? That not everything is a scam. Some businesses are just badly managed. I mean, Mt. Gox seems to be, unless you tell me otherwise, an example of that. It just seems like there could be an influence of just bad luck, mismanagement. Yeah, I, I think the, it's not fair to chuck the word scam at everything. Yeah. Um, I, I, I think also it's not right to put everything down to bad luck. I, I, I think Mount Gox was just shoddy management with no controls whatsoever. Can you tell us a little bit about what happened with Mt. Gox people who don't necessarily know and, and just very briefly? Yeah, so that was, it, it, it's in the book, but it's, it's one of the earliest and and was the biggest crypto exchange at, at one point at least 70 or 80 percent of all crypto was was flowing yeah. through it and, and it was based in japan and it was it was it was trusted but also it was sort of the, the first real place where you could buy crypto and it wasn't mm. easy to send crypto to it people had to change money via various ways to get it to this exchange in japan but then what happened the the, the guy managing it clearly wasn't managing it and it, it seemed like didn't really care what was going on and mm. there'd been numerous hacks that had been basically siphoning off funds and he just never noticed that or never checked it and it, it seems like he or others were just taking money out of it spending money um a lot of which was hacked that they just didn't notice so that they thought oh it's fine we're just bringing in money we're just bringing in money and they just didn't notice or want to look into their accounts to at some point they realize oh there's basically no crypto left it's all disappeared Mm. which was that's not bad luck i mean yes okay it's bad luck that they got hacked but that's totally irresponsible it's just mismanaged security principles in place you can have ways of storing crypto where it wouldn't have got hacked you could have had cyber security you could have checked the accounts you could have there's a lot of things that they could have done to prevent that so I, yeah, I don't think Mount Gox was a scam. Hmm. I also think that they were utterly responsible for the loss of a lot of people's money. So it's, to some extent, yeah, scams, bad management. So then, I mean, when I, when I was reading the book, I was thinking, why is it crypto wars? Like, why why the word? Because there's, there's scams and there's... Yeah. Like, is it, was that a personal so, choice? The, the crypto wars, that was what was given to me by the publisher. Uh-huh. So, so, because okay. they'd already done, I think it's called Cyber Wars and Digital Wars. Ah, that makes they, 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 they proposed a bit called Crypto Wars. Yeah. And let me come up with the rest of it. So the, uh, was it? Oh, well, that's been a fake. And, uh, that's anything billions. Industry disruption. Yeah. I think that that's, that's a good description. So, I always wondered that. So now I've got the answer. Okay, you've got the answer. Um, there are a lot, I think, of tales within your book that are relevant now. And I'm going to, when I was preparing this, I, I put some quotes down. So apologies, I'm going to read a little bit. But one story is about Quadriga, and it's and you you sort of say within that there were no separate accounts, client accounts. All Quadriga funds went into a big centralized pool. And then earlier in the book, you mentioned you saying some exchanges would store their crypto they had centrally in one wallet or account and keep a record of who had what. Had every user's crypto been stored separately, that it would have been a safer in the event of a hack. And you refer to to Matt yeah. Gox. Um, but on the face of it. To my mind, we're still there. I mean, major exchanges have a handful of addresses, pulled addresses. Which is, I would argue, the problem, which is, is, I I would argue, the problem, not not the only problem behind FTX, but a large part of it. And and the, the 
there's recently been uh, the SEC as as recently seen Binance. Well, that's what I was going to mention. Um, Binance, that's how they operate. They they say yeah, and 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 that there's 136 pages of this court document, and they're effectively accusing Binance of exactly the same of of yeah. uses crypto goes into one pot and. C C D and and Binance go thank you very much and 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 Kamingo and that's the accusation of of well of Binance and other exchanges now I'd argue that's why FTX lost so much of of users money that's not limited to Quadriga I, I would say that that's an inherent yeah. problem with centralized storage and and one could argue well that's how banks operate and and i think there's two yeah. points that a yes that's how banks operate which is why there isn't a huge amount of trust in the banking yeah, system absolutely. and that's a lot have collapsed a lot of people have lost money in banks and it's easy to go oh it's safe to keep money in banks well lots of people that hasn't been the case certainly in, in many countries abroad mm-hmm. a lot of people have lost money in 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 banks mm-hmm. and lots of banks have collapsed we've seen that recently but also on the other side of that, to operate as a bank, albeit there have clearly been some exceptions, but typically, for example, in the UK, you have to have a banking license, there's certain checks, there's certain procedures. It's a pretty regulated, sort of monitored industry. So yes, you've got all the risks that come with banking, but then also there's probably slightly more checks that have been in in place on that. So surely it's lose-lose then, because if someone like Binance um... I don't know. Even seeks to get a registration from a as a bank, they still are at risk. That banks are at risk as well because they they. Well, I mean, we've we've seen three large banks yeah, collapse. Yeah, 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 exactly. Um, and and more collapsing. So I I don't think that's a uniquely crypto problem. The, I, I I would argue the I, uh, the safest way to store money I mean, it used to be when dollars were pegged to gold mm-hmm. and and. If you have your own little vault and you have your own little bit of gold in that or your own coins in that, and, and with crypto, there are ways where you can store mm. your own crypto and, and people do that. And yes, okay, then they're responsible for remembering the keys and so forth to it. But that keeps that crypto safe from being mixed in a pot. And Yeah, I mean, I, I have a, a a hard wallet and it's it's great i love it i've uh, i was talking yesterday to a friend he's got a trezor i've got a, a ledger they're both great but like going back to to this to some extent i mean has the industry not learned its lesson from all of this or understood that actually if there was a mechanism whereby funds could be stored separately in or under the control of um, an exchange like binance then that would solve a massive issue that the banking industry and the crypto industry has i mean is that the solution and they just haven't done it though? Do you have any thoughts on that? Yes, but then you're relying on a people trusting that institution, and, mm-hmm. and not all institutions have been proven to be as trustworthy as one would like. So a, you've got to then everybody trust that institution, and then you've got the other arguments. So Ledger, for example, mm-hmm. the, the wallet they do hardware wallets, which have been pretty universally trusted yeah. and seen as a safe way to store crypto, and, and they recently released uh, uh, what they proposed as an optional upgrade whereby instead of people risking losing their private keys because one of the features with holding ones in crypto and such a wallet you've got to be responsible it's proper self-custody yes it's exactly there's like a password to it that you've got to remember and if you lose that or forget it then you lose your money mm-hmm. um 
which lots of people have lost. So they proposed a way where they could effectively store the passwords in, in a third party cloud. And then there was huge amounts of uproar and people questioning the whole integrity of the brand and yeah. saying that goes against the whole thing and how can it be trusted if you've got access to our passwords. So yes. It's not an easy it's not an easy thing to turn over, but I, yeah. there was a way for maybe some of the big exchanges to consider how to hold people's funds separately, then maybe we wouldn't be in the position we're in now. And maybe those less But then also delay. one of the issues has been some of the exchanges have said that and then still not held on it separately. Yeah, well, I think that's that's definitely um, something that's probably going to come out as the years go on to find out. How and, and one one of the frustrating things is crypto analytics tools are incredibly powerful and, and reveal basically everything, not not everything, but 90 something percent. So if more crypto analytics tools were used more and, and that data of exchanges or platforms were more transparent, people would see mm. clearly oh, oh, crypto is going in and crypto is going straight out to founders wallet or yeah, whatever yeah. and then... Well, I mean, maybe maybe that's something that needs to be addressed sort of more broadly. Uh, there's another point I want to touch on, which is again your your chapter about Quadriga, which is a what well, was a, a crypto exchange. Um, it involves a story about the questionable death. So people who who are going to read this, that's the fake death chapter. Um, you've noted within. I'm just quoting uh, 250 million Canadian dollars of customers' funds behind private keys, which only he, the the guy who was running it, had access to. And that meant then when, uh, quote, when sending crypto to Quadriga, you were signing away the control of your crypto, uh, end quote. Do you think then that that's why in certain instances you see in the terms of conditions that certain exchanges say that they don't hold your crypto? Um, so I had a look um, at this on Kraken's terms. So their latest terms as of today's recording was um, the latest iterations, the 18th of, of May, 2023. And it says within... Um, that title to digital assets and NFTs at all times remains with you and is not transferred to Payward, which is their registered um, company. And sort of the same with, with control. You control the digital assets and NFTs held within your Kraken account. Do you think that's why? Because of what's happened with Quadriga? Do they not want liability? They don't. Is that how you see it? Yeah. So the, the, the terms, and can I mean, I, I should add, I'm totally not a lawyer, but um, I think it was with Celsius, one of the lending platforms. I think it was Celsius yeah. where... People, the, the way that users had stored their money affected when the platform had gone bankrupt, yeah. if they got their money back or not. So if the terms and conditions say you hold your encryptor and you're just storing it there, treating it effectively like a bank vault, then you have the right to get that money back. But if you've put your money in the sort of centralized pool and and what some of the platforms or, or lending platforms did was as an incentive to get people to send their crypto to the centralized pool was pay effectively like interest mm -hmm. so there was a financial reward or incentive to get people to store their crypto in the centralized pool and and so what the, the terms and conditions have said, and, and since the lawyers have, have deduced, is that people mm. that put their crypto in the centralized pool or don't have the automatic right to get the, their crypto back. That crypto is deemed to be part of the estate of, yeah, yeah, yeah. of the platform. So, yeah, platforms are working on that. It's not easy, right? Because they, they, they essentially control your, your assets, but then they say they don't because they don't want liability. And it's, I suppose it's just... It may well be that these terms, although drafted for the benefit of the exchanges, it's not how it is in real life. That has also happened. 
and, and it's one of the sad facts that you might yeah. have a wonderful website and wonderful looking terms and condition and wonderful offers and promises but that, mm. that doesn't mean anything if the guy or team running it is a, a fraud or intent on on taking everyone's money and running off with it which has also happened yeah so that's a cynical answer sorry I, i'm enjoying the cynicism i think it's important to have because i mean it may well be because of who you are in the book that you've written that you are cynical on on some of them becoming more cynical today <laughs> So the book refers to specific stories in the world of crypto scams. You've got the one coin made famous by, as you say, the missing crypto queen. And you go through the McAfee story, Mt. Gox. If you were to publish a part two of this, which I'm hoping you will, yeah. what stories and what characters are you going to include? Well, so the my favorite chapter mm. for Crypto Wars, the first one, I wasn't allowed to publish legal advice for... Oh, so there's actually a missing chapter. There's a missing chapter, and legal advice was to not include it. And, and we don't need to name the company. Uh, it's about one of the biggest stable coins. Yep. And I might already have an understanding. Yeah. I, I think anyone that knows me knows exactly which one it is. It's, yeah. it's about one of the biggest stable coins that they've got lawyers, and apparently their lawyers wouldn't have wanted it to be included in in the book about the biggest scams in crypto. Um, uh, the, the, there's a lot to go on. I guess it's maybe because they're ongoing and a lot of the Correct. characters here are either Correct. dead or... Correct. Or, okay. Correct. Right. Correct. This will follow <laughs> the right, legal okay. editorial advice. Right. Got you. Uh, yeah. Correct. Um, so, book two, I was happily writing away about dark web and hitmen for higher scams and all of the, the nice, exciting stuff about the early days of crypto. And then... Last year happened, and and all not not all of the big crypto companies collapsed, but domino effect of loads of crypto companies collapsed, and there's too much. So, yes, what will be included will be found out when I've written. Um, but there's there's so much. You you've you've got loads of you've got the ransomware where crypto oh. isn't isn't anything about it. It's just it's a it's a monetary tool used to extract money out of people. You've still got all the scams. You've got yeah. the, Hitman for Hire scams, which I find really, really interesting. Can you tell us about like what a Hitman for Hire scam is? Just it's wonderful. Go on. Um, I find it really interesting. So there's websites all over the dark web mm. and on the regular internet. So if you just put in hire a Hitman or whatever, there's loads of sites. Okay. Loads of sites. Too many sites than you would expect. Oh, I mean, you really expect <laughs> no, well, you the site should, for that. Yeah. But there, there's loads of sites okay. and, and all imaginative titles like hireahitman.com or rentakiller.com or, or whatever. And, and and you've got all of these sites and they all say, you know, we've got a, a wonderful team of assassins and we can do anything you want us to do. And if somebody is, you know, wronged you or cheated on you, then they deserve to die. And we offer all these services. And here's our price list if you want them to be tortured, if you want a limb cut off, if you want their car torched, if you want them murdered, if you want them shot yeah. by this type of person who's just an ex-drug addict, it's that price. If you want them shot by a trained army sniper, it's that price. If you want it to look like an accident, it will cost more. If you want to yeah. make it look like a suicide, you've got all these priceless and all these wonderful offers. And they say if you want to, if you want somebody tortured or murdered, contact her now. So you've got a nice contact form and then you know, chat support, and they'll. Well, they've got a nice customer service. Very good customer service. So they'll they'll engage with people, and 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 so you might email in and go, oh, this girl called Erica, I want to have her killed, and here's her address, and here's her car registration plate, and I know she's going to be 
at this place on Wednesday and then she's going to drive to that place or she's going to be home at whatever time mm-hmm. or always on a, or every Saturday morning she's at this address yep. or whatever. They'll give a lot of information and they'll say, well, we need photos of this person. We need all the details of this person. We need their whereabouts. Oh, and um, of course we need, we need their address and, and you've got to pay in, in Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. So here's the price and, and pay in Bitcoin. And then that's kind of where it gets interesting because there's not a lot of unexpected murders and there's none that have been linked to the sites either they're just scams and and the sites go thank you for your bitcoin you stupid fool yeah yeah. or their sites that go thank you for your bitcoin you stupid fool and i'm taking all of this information straight to law enforcement who will then go well that was going to be my next question i I wonder whether I mean, there's a data breach. I mean, I'm not going to get into data laws, but essentially you're giving over personal data to a third party. So, some of them have got working agreements, which they are quite open about with with law enforcement, where they basically go, it's, I mean, I don't know if it's a data breach. If you go, hey, you know, I want to kill somebody. And then you go to the police, go, hey, there's a hit out on this person. Yeah. And some of them are honeypots run by law enforcement. So. Okay, so these are sort of, it's a little bit like entrapment by the police. Oh, to- totally, totally. Or, or by the people running sites. And the, the the sort of scam element is is people get scammed out of their Bitcoin and don't get the murder they've paid for. But you know, do you? Yeah, well, lucky uh, that they can. <laughs> yeah, lucky. So it, it it's really interesting. And then the, the, there's loads of information and, and loads of cases. I mean, constantly, like constantly in the news. Like at least every week, there's a case where somebody went on one of these sites and paid good money. You know five or ten or, or more thousand pounds or dollars in bitcoin yeah. to have somebody killed and and then they get arrested do you know what's really weird is that a lot of the time i get people call me up and say i've fallen victim to a scam can you trace my cryptocurrency so we can get it back right and of course you traced I, it to a hit well it's it, but, but you'd never get that right because exactly. that person we're exactly. not going to go i tried to murder someone that, well no and so one of them where the guy is now in in prison mm-hmm. um so th- there's only been two known people that have been sort of killed that were targets on them and, and the most famous. Yeah. Um, well, in America, probably Hobbs. And <laughs> the guy had was having an affair and, and, and wanted to... He was a church leader, so he didn't want his church yeah. finding out and he could well, get yeah. divorced. So uh, logically, the best thing to do is, is pay to have your wife killed. Um, so had had engaged with, with one of these sites... Um, at that site, which was the biggest him and for hire site, had been infiltrated by hackers who were sending all of the information straight to law enforcement. So it was it was a known thing. So uh, anyhow, so yeah. he'd been desperately trying to get this hitman to yeah. kill the wife, and then um, the FBI got involved, or the local police, or whatever, yeah, yeah, yeah. got involved, and, and went round to their house and made this stupid mistake. Of, of saying to the wife in front of him, oh, there's someone that's got a hit out on, on on you. Do you know who it could possibly be? And and anyhow, at some point, he got frustrated and impatient and just killed her himself. But he did it. Oh, wow. He did it himself. Well, he, he got, he, he, he tried for months to pay this hitman. And the correspondence is fascinating because in pretty much every email, the hitman scam is like, oh, sorry, we couldn't do the hit this time. But if you pay us more money, we can sell better like, first. And scam, right? That's like total, total classic scam. scam. I mean, he's, he's clearly a total buffoon yeah. and, a, and a fool. 
and uh, and every email was pretty much extracting more money out of him and and then anyhow he he realized that they're not going to kill her and, and killed her himself and he got arrested but what the police then realized because yeah. that was the first bitcoin case that they'd had in this small town somewhere in america and and months before that, a guy had gone to the local police station going, I've been scammed out of five or six, five or six grand or whatever it was in Bitcoin. And they hadn't really followed up and they didn't know anything about it. And that complaint was him going to the police that he'd been scammed out of this Bitcoin on this hitman for hot. So he almost sort of turned himself in. Yeah, and then but they didn't know they didn't put the two or two together until until you know, he'd actually been arrested and they'd worked out that yeah. monstrably it was him that had killed his wife and then they went on his computers and they saw all this correspondence. And this is one example of this. So number That's, Well, it's rare that usually mm. the police will go to the victim and will make sure that they're safe and the victim, usually there's only one person that will have yeah. that much information. So it's, and then they can work out pretty quickly who it is and get the person arrested. So usually the victim doesn't end up getting killed by the husband. So we've got murder for hire <laughs> in the next book. We've got potentially a chapter where uh, someone uh, advised legally that you shouldn't include them. There's going to be all sorts of there'll, there'll be mentions of stable coins, maybe, but de definitely, definitely murder for hire. And, and, and yeah, some collapses. When might we expect this to be published? Oh, gosh. That's a big question. That's a big question. And you're leaving it there, aren't you? And I'm going <laughs> <laughs> to. Completely fair. Um, so moving on a little bit, we talk a lot about crypto being the Wild West at the moment. I know there's regulation coming in certain jurisdictions. Do you still think that we're there or do you think we've moved on a little bit? I mean, we're still seeing scams and, and, and collapses of businesses. Would you say it's still a Wild West or are we moving in the right direction? I would, but in the same sense that everything kind of is. In, and so there's scams all over Facebook Marketplace. Yep. There's My parents get a phone call pretty much every day. Well, on their landline. Mm. Yeah. 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 Which is, you know, clearly a scam, but they don't see it. They're in the same mm. page. Mm. Um, there's email phishing scams. There, 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 there's scams and there's problems everywhere. And, and uh, I mean, statistically, crypto scams are only a tiny percentage of, of all of the, the scams out there. So I, I'd say there's elements of crypto that, that really are. Um and then, you know, lots of ransomware that's paid in, in Bitcoin. And there are lots of crypto scams and there's lots of problems in the industry. And I'd argue that that's not a crypto problem. That's a, As a general a tool problem. Yeah. Um, crime and fraud problem. Because isn't there, is there such thing as a crypto scam? It's just scams that involve the paid of crypto, right? That, that's trying to get crypto out of people instead of cash or instead of whatever other currency. Because people are less informed about how it works, well, right? Well, they think it's anonymous and it, it isn't. So... It's I exactly that. I, I'd say most scams involving crypto aren't crypto scams so much as they're using crypto as a method of yeah. payment or playing on the yeah, hype yeah. of crypto. I don't, I don't, I don't think most of the scams are so much a crypto problem as a, as a broader mm. problem. And you know, I'm in, I'm in a really lucky position at CMS law firm where I work and and, and with my work. I, I see all of the cool stuff. You, you see all the good companies that are doing stuff that are working on how to make custody safer, working on better user experience, working on all, all sorts of mm. good stuff. So, yeah, I talk more about the scams and write about this because it's the exciting, juicy bit. Yeah, people don't want to read uh, contracts of people doing really well, do they? 95% no, of what I see yeah. 
is all the really good stuff. Yeah. So I, 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 yeah, I don't want to brush crypto with a, oh, it's all bad, it's all a scam, it's all a Wild West problem. I, I think there's a broader societal problem where it's, especially now with digital fraud, it's easier to commit mm. crime online. There's less risk, you're less likely to get caught. You can yeah. hide away in countries and jurisdictions. North Korea is a popular one. And, and, and get away and do with pretty much what you want i mean it's not helpful that some of the bigger names in the in the crypto blockchain space are, uh, are sort of being investigated i mean in, in recent news SEX and and similar haven't helped yeah well 100 percent not and then we've got the sec pursuing binance and coinbase um i mean we, we touched on it earlier that doesn't help the industry so much or maybe it does it, it... I, I think there's a few things. There's a lot of companies in the crypto space that haven't operated as well or as transparently as would have been ideal. Mm-hmm. FTX is, is a classic example. Yep. So I, I think in, in in some way, getting rid of some of the companies or, or forcing some of the companies to act in a way that's safer for their users is a good thing. I, I'd also think, just my opinion, but law enforcement in not not in all cases but things like the sec there's an agenda uh, and governments have an agenda to bring out cbdc's to bring out central bank run digital currencies and it's clear are, in the way potentially which are the best possible way of controlling populations and cbdc's have inexplicably got lots of supporters but they're the best way of controlling population and yeah. the best way of exerting that control so crypto is a competition to that and it's a way of payments that are outside of government control which is part of the appeal and benefit so i i think partly it's good to get rid of some of the worst but part it's quite worrying because there clearly is an, an agenda to promote central bank run government controlled digital currencies yeah i mean my my sense of central bank digital currencies is all a bit scary oh runaway screaming and i'm surprised um, at the position in America to some extent because obviously their their culture is about sort of freedom and that includes monetary freedom and yet yeah. if you have these these um, central bank um, stable coins then there is an opportunity for uh, government to, to sort of control the money in a way like they've never done before. I, I think it's, it's more than an opportunity. I, I, I think anyone would be naive to say anything other than that's guaranteed what will happen. Do you think so? Yeah. Sure, yeah, I, there'll be protests, there'll be uproar. I mean, the, the... look at what happened with COVID. I mean, yeah, look but... at what happened with COVID. There, there's more regulation just gets brought in, and how they'll sell it with the central bank digital currency is, is it won't be governments won't be doing this. You've got to do this because we're trying to use this currency to mm. control you. It will be. This is easier to use. This is cheaper. This is a better user experience. If you go to the airport, you won't have to queue. If you use this currency, yeah. you get in the special queue. You get in the VIP pass. You get these discounts. You get preferential interest rates. It won't. They won't be overt about it. They'll be like, well, you've got two options. You can either use traditional money or you can use the CBDC. And you'll save X percent or you'll get to the front of the queue or you go through the VIP pass. They'll do it so subtly that people won't, people don't read terms and conditions anyhow, but they won't have a clue what they're signing up for. They'll think, great, this is, you know, I get a discount or I get treated whatever better. And and they'll do it so subtly that people won't have a clue what they've signed up for. And then governments are good at controlling the media and it. 
telling people what to do. So people will think, oh, it's great that we've got all of this security. Well, I'll be surprised if it happens in America because of that dynamic of and push for, for freedom. Um, what was interesting was is in, in, in um, the papers relating to Binance and Coinbase, there was no reference to Ether, I don't think. And I think Gary, and well, Gary Gens has come out and said Bitcoin is the only one that wouldn't be considered a security. So maybe that, it doesn't defeat the argument that they want to clear the way for central bank stable coins, but at least there's some recognition that it is different. Which is good. And, uh, and, and I... Good versus loads of bad in your mind. Is that right? No, I... I... I know I'm cynical. I'm very pro Bitcoin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very pro. Maximalist. Getting more and more. <laughs> yeah. Do you know more, more and more and more and more? Yeah. 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 I, in the sense that there's a lot of there's a lot of problems around Bitcoin, but none of the problems are Bitcoin itself. It's the sort of the platforms that are taking advantage of ways to make money around mm -hmm. that whereas a lot of the other tokens are uh, less secure and with different things in mind when it was designed yeah, totally i mean sort of my sort of my next question but we may have touched it a little bit but let's let's sort of tease it out a little bit there's a sense that the u.s is crypto allergic now we've seen that <laughs> and other nations, even the the EU, are looking to engage. I know the UK is looking to engage, and there's there's papers coming out. Is that the experience that you have? Do you think the US may be a little bit more allergic to it, or that? It seems that the SEC has been, but then there was a recent um, case where lawmakers in the US are going, "Hey, the SEC is overstepping." So, um, I think that there's certainly fractions. I think there's probably the some interests. Yeah, totally. And, and there's certain opinions and there's certain agendas. Mm. Um, the EU is is gone ahead. There's certain jurisdictions that are, are being much more receptive and open. And, and what we're seeing is companies going there and basing there. And of course, those companies, those countries have to accept that there's certain risks that come with mm. crypto. But also, it means that you've got a lot of good companies going there and basing there and bringing or attracting skilled employees. Um, and I think the US and the UK are have already lost a lot of companies oh, and great. are going to continue to lose a lot of companies. And and what we hear, especially in the UK, is not how do we get set up in the UK because this is a great place to be. It's where should we set up and it is in the UK. I get the same question. Yeah. And, it, and it was Cyprus now, a lot of people, Dubai now, but not people not it's all these but it's Dubai or Switzerland or, or Europe. It's not the UK. It, 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 and it's not even a question of should we get registered in the UK as well? It's it's just, where should we go? And a lot of it is, I want to register somewhere else, but I'd like to operate if I can in the UK. Well, I tried to register and I was rejected on no grounds whatsoever. Um, and I, I've spent lots of money on, on you know, legals and times mm -hmm. and, and we know our application isn't even going to be looked at for two years. Mm -hmm. Is it a sense then that you, the UK is in an interesting position because the US has sort of, to my mind at least, said, we are going to clear a lot of this out and we're not particularly interested unless we have our own US agenda. You've got the EU have kind of said, okay, we've considered stable, because Mika to my mind is a lot about sort of stable coins and we've got different jurisdictions slowly building their regulation. The UK sort of pulled back a little bit and we're sort of waiting. Do you think that's beneficial to see what the lay of the land is or do you think we've missed the opportunity? I think so. Yeah. I, I think the UK, 
I, I mean, I'm as anti-Brexit as, as it's possible yeah. to be. Um, so Brexit should never have happened. But once it did, the UK could have taken advantage of what there could have been to take advantage of. And I feel like now it's got behind. And, and so we're behind. I think so. And and, and so many companies have left. Mm. Um, one stat I heard from a founder was that 90% have already left. And and, and I, I think so many companies have left. And once they leave, they're not, not going to come, come back. They're not going to come back. Unless there's a mad tax incentive. Well, they're, they're not going to. I mean, companies that left are, are now, hey, we love the life. We've got a house on the beach. We've got good weather. We've got out you know outdoors stuff okay. we've got a better life um they're not going to come back okay I, I i think maybe that's me being cynical and negative. no i'm enjoying i'm enjoying it because i to some extent i agree i there's a debate have we missed a boat or are we seeing the lay of the land and, and adapting to it and there's a part of me that feels like you're right that, that actually we have missed the boat and if we were bold at the start we could have done something really and, and i think another factor lockdown has changed things companies do work more remotely companies do work more decentralized a lot more companies are now saying we don't need everyone to be based in london if you know the best applicant is from peru great if the best yeah whatever is from lithuania great so long as they get the job done it doesn't exactly. matter exactly i'm gonna ask one final question um and it's actually just about sort of your day-to-day -day, and that's crypto curry club yeah which is how we met years ago okay and Tell me about it. Let people know what it is and what work goes into because it's a hell of a lot of work. <laughs> yes. Um, so Crypto Curry Club started as a hissy fit. Started as a hissy as fit? As a hissy fit. In what way? In years ago, yeah. years before lockdown, I wanted to learn more about crypto and I wanted to meet other people in the space. And there was no community in London at, at the time. There were a few events that were good but very very technical and clear and geared for coders and developers yeah and just demonstrably yeah, yeah, yeah. And, um you know great if you're a sort of coding expert not great if you're anyone else uh, and pretty much every other event was a sales pitch for scams i know you know i went to a few and there's people just on he'd clearly paid to speak just promoting nonsense and so the hissy fit was there's got to be a better event Bye. And so I'd been to, it was a, a Christmas curry just with a, with a friend and, and it was the best networking event I'd been to because I, I mean, I'm socially, I, I can't stand networking and meeting you when I'm terribly introverted. Formal networking. Formal, well, any. Um, and it was, it was fantastic because it was tables and yeah. you're sat around and yeah. you've got to talk this, would you pass the naan bread please or would you yeah. pass whatever and, and it, it was just so easy and fun. Yeah. So I thought, well, that's exactly what we need for crypto. So crypto curry, a logical name. Yeah. Uh, and I, I thought curry because it was fun to share and then of course everyone's like, well no, it's got to stay as being curry. So it, it stayed as that. So it, it, it became a, a really big community in the UK and yeah. doing private invite only lunches and and dinners getting people together and, and what was really nice it, it, in, in, in the early days it was you're in a room of, of everybody that's working on space everyone's doing something good i vetted everyone to make sure that it's people that are out to hmm. scam or, or, or do good so it was it was just a room full of people working in the space it's easier to get to know people when you're sat around sharing food and and, and drinks and it became a really really nice friendly community and yes a lot of work <laughs> and then it's become you're at a point now where it's the courier which is which sounds carrier the courier okay right <laughs> so curry club courier which is 
well, you tell newsletter. So that's a weekly newsletter. I do... It gives to people for free as well. Yes. Yeah. And it takes me like a day a week to do. Um, but, you know, it, it, it summarizes the news. It summarizes the main thing that go on. And, you know, the, if it's free, more people will probably read it. So it's probably a good thing. <laughs> But what I'll do is I'll make sure that when I post all this, we'll have the link to it all. Yeah, not, that, not that my audience is going to be any bigger than yours. It's going to be way bigger than mine anyway. But we'll have the links to it all anyway. Yeah. Erica, thanks very much. No, thank you for having me. Appreciate it. This podcast does not contain any financial or legal advice, and you should not seek to rely on it as such. Opinions are the individual's own. This podcast was produced and edited by Joe Hawkins and music by Luke Carey. Thank you for listening and see you next time.